you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This month we will be several passages in Deuteronomy. Beginning this morning with, Oksana mentioned earlier, uh, a rather, uh, rather important passage. It is called the Shema. Actually, she may have mentioned that way earlier this morning, speaking with the orchestra. But she was right. It's the Shema, and it was spoken by the Israelites, probably still to this day, by our Jewish friends to remind them who and whose they are each and every day. It is good to be with you this morning. I uh, appreciate very much the privilege of uh, being away last week with my family. We enjoyed some time in our favorite place, L.A., Lower Alabama. <laughs> and it really is our favorite place. Leslie's dad is from down there, and we uh, can go down there on occasion, and it's wonderful. Uh, it, and I've, I've remarked throughout the last however many years we've had little children when somebody, you know, says, you've been on vacation, and I pause and I stop them and correct them and say, well, it's actually not vacation, it's a trip, though, and it's a lot of fun. But uh, I mentioned Hattie, our kindergartner, is, is starting kindergarten tomorrow, and um, it was a vacation. It's getting easier. I read two books, and I'm grateful for the difference in, um, yeah, I'm not wishing the years away, but I'm grateful that it is uh, getting easier. And I know some of you will quickly say it doesn't stay easier, like it gets different, right? At least we don't have to watch them swimming all the time. Hattie does start kindergarten tomorrow, and she is so excited, and this passage uh, hits home as we think about our baby girl beginning school. Let's look at it together. Um, We'll start in verse 4. Verses 1 through 3 are great as well, and you can look back at those on your own, but let's start in verse 4 together in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and and when you lie down and, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. And let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. I've got a good buddy uh, from seminary who is, he was, um, used to be a pastor in Prattville, Alabama. He's bivocational now and lives somewhere else. But I'm so glad he's at least still bivocational because he's a wonderful preacher. I'm so glad he's still uh, doing that. And, and as we drive to Gulf Shores, is where we go. And as we drive there on 65, you drive right by Prattville. Many of you have stopped at the Starbucks there, I'm sure. And we were there for 40 minutes yesterday because they lost our order. It's unbelievable. Oh, I, that's not in my notes. Um, but he pastored there for a while. And you can see his church right off the interstate um, there in Prattville. And he was, uh, I usually call him when we go by. And I was talking to him last week as we were driving through, and he asked me, he said, are you going to take the family to church tomorrow? It was Saturday when I was talking to him, and he was, he was being funny and sarcastic, but he was 
alluding to this legalistic-ish mindset that he and I both understand that has been common in Bible Belt Christianity and perhaps still is in certain places. You see, Prattville is just a few miles south of the sign many of you may recognize right along the interstate when you're coming back north, right next to this beautiful pond. And it's a huge sign with a a Satan-looking figure on it that says, go to church or the devil will get you. Now, I don't want to uh, intimate that gathering is not important. Quite the opposite. In fact, in our DXD strategy, Disciples Making Disciples, which I love, which we have been talking about for a long time here, we have three Gs. We, have, we encourage gospel conversations. We want you to be talking about your faith in your everyday life with people that you meet. And we have groups. We meet all over the place, including Sunday morning, in groups. And that is a vital, maybe the most vital part of our life together as a church. And we talk about going. We're going to pray over two missionaries later in this service who are living that directive out. We're going to add another G, which is gather, because the last two and a half, three years have challenged that, have they not? And we believe it is super important to gather together. So such a statement along the road, go to church or the devil will get you. Maybe I don't agree with the sentiment completely, but you should go to church. I pray that you want to show up here when we gather to worship. Such a sentiment is what drove my perfect attendance record when I was a child at Mount Carmel Baptist Church. I didn't want to miss a Sunday because I was supposed to be there. Another driver of it is I was the preacher's kid and we lived across the parking lot in the parsonage. (laughs) Go to church or the devil will get you. Sometimes I wonder if it's go to church or God will get you that we imagine. Don't sin or God will get you. Well, our passage in Deuteronomy today introduces love into this conversation. And we're going to look at that this morning together. It's my understanding that ancient Near Eastern treaties, when two warring tribes or groups of people would would end the war, one would win and, and one would lose, and the fighting would come to a to an end, the the language of the treaty that they would come to together would include love being prescribed to the losing tribe, people group, to the winners. So in this sense, love equaling fealty. Well, think about that. Church, we are not to be obedient because it's prescribed. We're not to be obedient in order to get God to love us. I need you to see that this morning. We talk about that enough, but I have to be reminded it, so I assume we all do. Our obedience stems from, uh, it's, it's because God does love us. I've been saying it in our benediction since the beginning of the year, 1 John 4, 9. God's love has been revealed to us in this way, that God has sent his son Jesus to us so that we might have life through him. Love has been revealed exactly that way. Well, how do we do this? Well, this passage teaches us how we do this. First, it's with all our heart. Now, with all of our heart. Now, typically when the heart is talked about in the Bible, it denotes a couple of things. 
It denotes our understanding and our feelings. So to love with all of our heart is to love with our thinking and our emotions. It's our heart as we understand it in our Western mindset, our feelings, our emotions, and it's also with our mind. You may say to your spouse or your children, I love you with, with all of my heart. And, and what we mean by that, or if, we, or if we understand someone loving us with all of their heart, it's that I believe you love me. I believe you are there for me. I believe you are with me and I with you. We love with all our heart. With me? Next, we love with our soul. I also like translations. Maybe yours is one of these who uses the word being for soul. You see, soul can be a bit deceptive, which uh, it often has been, the term itself, which it often has been in the history of the church. It, it can cause us to imagine a separation between our body and our soul. But that's the opposite of what the writer means here. Our soul, our being, is our whole self, our entire self, our essential self. It's what we mean. It's what led us particularly to our mission statement, which is to engage each whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Our whole selves, our soul, our being. Third, with all of our might. Now, the word used here in the text, the Hebrew word, is a bit odd because it's most often, maybe always, I didn't look at every instance in Scripture this week, but maybe always it comes out as being used as an adverb, except for here where the part of speech is a noun. So it's a bit tricky in this case, this sense, in this passage for the translators, for interpreters, to capture exactly what it means. It the adverb usage of this word means very, V-E-R-Y, very, or really, or as I happened to say earlier, probably because I was thinking about it, what the kids say, super. Just attach that to any word you want, super. So maybe this would be best described in this sense with a sound, since it's so hard to translate. Maybe like an, ah, did that startle you? I think that might capture it. You know, before I became a pastor, I was a teacher at a school here in town. I told you at Brentwood Academy, I loved my time there. I taught Bible and was a coach. And uh, our headmaster, who was, uh, he was great, and he would often, um, whether it was a morning that we had a faculty meeting or just any morning that he happened to have audience with, a group of uh, faculty or anybody from our community there, he would say, particularly in the morning, it's a great day at BA. And he would say it growling almost. It was an incredible enthusiasm, much more than I had at 645 in the morning on most, most days. But I thought about that this week because I think his enthusiasm behind that, it captures what's going on here when the writer of Deuteronomy tells us to love the Lord with all of our strength, with all of our might. I think it captures strength and might. 
You see, I think it's one of the deceivers. You remember go to church or the devil will get you the deceiver. I think it's one of the deceivers greatest tricks to subdue us is to make us feel shame in our relationship with God, to, to make us feel shame in the sense where it drains our enthusiasm for God and for God's promises in our lives. Now, sure, we're not always going to be ready to go, ah, throughout our days. I certainly am not. But what if we never do? Love God with all your thinking and all your feeling. Love God with your whole self, with, with everything you're associated with. And do these with enthusiasm, heart, soul, strength. Look at verse seven. Repeat them to your children. Repeat these commands that you're doing with your heart and soul and strength. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and, and when you lie down and, and, and when you get up. This is, these are opposites, right? And they don't just mean just when you lie down and just when you get up. It means everything in between. It's not just your whole being. It's all that we do as well. It's everything we are about. These, these opposites are in here for a reason. So if we're doing it anytime, anywhere, the repetition can be anytime, anywhere. It instructs us to repeat, to rehearse. I think of Malcolm Gladwell saying you need 10,000 hours practicing anything to gain mastery in it, at least 10,000 hours. That's a, that's a long time. That denotes this kind of repetition that I imagine when I read this text. The Hebrew word here means to, to teach incisively. The word means sharp. Sharp. I think about growing up and working in the tobacco patch. And you need to correctly harvest a tobacco plant. You need a very sharp knife. So we have to constantly sharpen those knives. I have taken a dull tobacco knife into the tobacco patch before, and it is wildly ineffective, frustrating, slow. It's actually destructive. With a dull knife, you can destroy trying to chop the stalk of that tobacco plant. Sharp rehearsal. Now look at the word rehearsal, repetition. I think about my wife. We've been swimming a lot this summer because it's been 9,000 degrees. And so we've swam a lot. And Leslie Ann has been swimming her whole life. And man, she, she, she looks like a dolphin going through the water. She is such a smooth swimmer. It's fun to watch her swim. Three strokes, breath, three strokes, breath. And it's all just symmetrical and seamless. I can swim. I'm not in trouble in the water, but a dolphin, I am not. I am more like somebody dropped a gorilla off and he found the water. But L.A. swam for, Leslie Ann swam for um, three hours a day or more for many years after school. And some of her teammates actually did that before school and after school. That is some serious rehearsing in the water. That creates sharp swimmers even 20 years later when she doesn't do it all the time. Now, this is important. The Shema, this, this passage here, was recited, rehearsed. It was repeated. 
daily, nightly, and, 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 and any time in between. It was done so not for show, as so often we do the things that we do, unfortunately. It was, it was for these commands to enter into their heart and mind, for this sharpness to be how they live their lives. So it became innate. It became just the way things were. And this rehearsal helped that be so. It, it committed these truths into their very being, which would then come out as they lived their lives. We see this bleeding into the early church as well. And the, the people who were first following and, and, and being formed by Jesus and really establishing the bedrock for what we enjoy as our faith in the world today. These pioneers of our faith who understood that it was not just for show, that these, these axioms that we live by, the ways of Jesus were not just to be said, but they were to be said so that they could become the way of life. It's why I say things that I think are pithy, like continuing the life and work of Jesus from right here, because it's what we're called to do. And this is how we do it. We rehearse the ways of Jesus. One of the earliest church fathers, Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage in North Africa, wrote this in the year 256. He says, we are philosophers, not in words, but in deeds. Not by, we exhibit our wisdom, not by our dress, but by truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. We do not speak great things. We live them. Come on. Never written anything that good. I'm working on it. We don't speak great things. We live them. This is exactly the influence that Leslie Ann and I hope to be having on our children. And man, let me tell you, we are trusting God for this. Because it is really hard to see evidence of it in our household. Please do not for one second think, and I don't know that you are, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I stand up here and preach with you and, and, and share these thoughts, but I am not breaking any records at home. Things are breaking, not records. It's hard. But I also don't believe that this opportunity we have to, to influence, which is what we're going to be talking about. It's in the corner of your screen right there over the next four weeks. I don't think that ends. How old turns, our oldest turns 14 tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? I should know that. I don't think it ends. Maybe he's going to cut us off in four years and never listen to us again. But I don't think it ends at 18. Or 14. I talk to my parents every week. I'm still learning for them. In fact, I have four parents now. I won the lottery when I got married. I just spent the week with my in-laws. I hate in-law jokes. It's not been my experience. That was a little strong. I shouldn't have said hate. Sometimes they're funny. You can continue to use them if you want to. Just know that they don't fit my experience. I think Leslie Ann would say the same about her in-laws. To influence in our homes and in our neighborhoods, we have to be folks who love. That's why the writer of Deuteronomy went here right now. This is what he was telling us. Folks who 
love with intentionality. That's why we have some really great resources, I believe, on our church website to help you do just that this week and in the weeks ahead, and you should check that out. Yes, the Shema was recited, but it existed to be lived. Look at verse 8 and 9. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Now, it could be that these things are metaphor, and they certainly can be read that way. However, there is evidence that it was common for the audience of this passage to wear um, circlets, little leather bracelets, circlets on their wrist or even headbands around their head. And they would have a leather pouch on them, which within the leather pouch would contain parchment with this passage or other biblical passages on there. So they would literally wear scripture around their head. And this was fascinating to me. And I know all of my illustrations this morning are from my family. And I'm sorry about that, but we've just been together all week. So it's what I've got. And all week I sat there and looked at them and they, I don't know where this stuff kept coming from Amazon just beads. They're making beads the whole time. And, and, and it, it struck, I couldn't believe it because it was right there in my text. This is what they're doing. They're making these circlets and our kids are putting words on these circlets and we don't have the right letters and they're frustrated about that. And Lewis is smacking Elliot because one of them broke and just caused a lot. There's a lot going on with the beads, but it's right here. It's exactly what's going on here. However, there were no Bible verses on any of the bracelets that were made this week. In our family in Gulf Shores, Alabama. A lot of inside jokes, a lot of names, but they were making beads. This simple act that the Israelites would do to keep in mind what they were learning, what they were reciting. Maybe we're not putting Bible verses on our beads, but do we do these things? We better be. We were talking this week with Leslie Ann's parents, and her mom is a native of Hartsville, Alabama. And even to this day in their church here in Nashville, she still teaches children on Sunday morning. Still involved, still trying to serve. And recently a friend of hers asked her, Karen, why are you still doing this? I've been doing it for so long. Well, she loves it. And it's such a testimony. Um, if you're not serving in this church, you're, you're missing out if you're a part of it. And she knows that. So she serves. She teaches children's groups. But her, her part, at least part of her answer to her friend who asked her this, she said, I do it out of respect for my parents. That's at least behind what's driving me. Her parents, Howard and Marie Fowler, who were both pharmacists before... Many people's wives were pharmacists. Really incredible story down there in Hartsville, Alabama. But even more than pharmacists, they were folks who followed and were formed by Jesus their whole lives. They were folks who wrote their faith in Jesus on their doorpost. But they didn't only lean on their family down there in Hartsville. They also leaned on First Baptist Church, Hartsville. See, our text tells us to write them on our doorposts, but also on our city gates. 
Homes didn't have gates back then. City gates here means the community. It's exactly what it means. The text tells us to write these things in two places. The text teaches us of the importance of our community here. We absolutely want and need to have intentional families, intentional individuals. that We want to be that, following and being formed by Jesus around the dinner table at our homes, around family devotion, around our personal quiet times with the Lord. But the home is not the sole place discipleship begins. It's not the only place it begins. It has been since Cyprian wrote what he wrote, all that he wrote. And really since this passage came to be. It's in the community. It's in the church. It is the church. It's our faith family here, the church at Harpeth Heights, a regional campus of Brentwood Baptist Church. So I ask you, church, what is on our doorpost? What sign is on our church here? I was talking with my buddy Matt Pearson this week, our pastor over at the church at West Franklin. He and I both lamented that if this morning's sermon would possibly, um, the last thing we wanted to do this morning was to bind us all up in trying to be good for God. One of my favorite preachers ever, Fred Craddock, talks about preachers looking over their manuscript every week and looking for the words ought and must and should and Xing those out. The only thing we ought and must and should do is never use the words ought and must and should. To bind us up in trying to be good for God. Trying to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. To be obedient to God, to get good things from God because we can't do that. Our obedience is because of God's great love for us. And it's found in God's love being revealed to us in this way. First John four, nine, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, so that we might have life through him. That is why we gather around the Lord's supper table every six, seven weeks together to remember God's great love for us. The love that renders us obedient. The love through Jesus that renders us whole. So what's on our doorpost, church? What's on our gate? I pray it is continuing the life and work of Jesus, who was the only one who truly could love God with all his heart, soul, and strength. As we move into a time of receiving, celebrating the Lord's Supper together, some of you may have grabbed the elements as you walked in, and that's fine. But if you didn't, don't fret, because we are going to carve out some space over the next couple of minutes to do just that. This time is for you to consider this passage, to consider God's great love for you, and to consider the call on our church to Truly be living out 
what I pray is on our doorpost, on our gate, to continue the life and work of Jesus who gave everything so that we could do just that.